Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. This morning, we're going to start a brand new series entitled Knowing Jesus. And over the next four weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking through, we're going to be learning and walking through Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to walk through Ephesians chapter 1. In this time, uh, in this understanding, we're we're going to gain a little bit of an understanding of maybe these three purposed plans of God that he wanted to speak through the book of Ephesians. So I'll share that with you uh, this morning. But we're going, to, we're going to look through that. We're going to discover what the, um, what the people of Ephesus knew of God, like how they knew him, what, the, what level of knowledge they had of Jesus. And then we're going to learn this really important principle, which is that, uh, that no matter how much we know about Jesus, no matter how much we know of Jesus, No matter how long you've walked with Jesus, there's more to know. Do you know that? No matter how much you know about Jesus, no matter how much uh, uh, you've studied, no, no matter how many years or how few years you've spent following Jesus, there's so much more for all of us to know. So much so that the Apostle Paul uh, addresses the Ephesian Christians in chapter 1, and he says to them, I I know that you know Jesus. I recognize that you're saints. He says, to the church of or to the saints in Ephesus. He's recognizing that they're part of the kingdom of God. He goes on and says, I see your faith that your faith towards, uh, towards God is just powerful. It's really awesome. He also goes on and says, there's an evidence that makes me know that you are who you say you are because of your love for one another, right? Didn't Jesus say this? He says, this is how my, my people will know or the, the world will know that you are my people because you love for one another. And so Paul addresses them and says, your faith and your love for one another is a huge thing. But there's a piece of the history of Ephesians the start of the foundation of this church that many of us overlook because we kind of think that all of Ephesians is just rooted right there in that one book. But, but we have to remember that the book of Acts actually communicates and teaches us all the things that, uh, that led up to the foundation of this church, okay? And on, on Paul's third missionary journey is when the church of Ephesus actually took its root or found its origin. Paul met 12 men. About 12 men, the scripture says, but Paul met 12 men. This is found in Acts 19, if you want to study it on your own. Paul meets 12 men that had undergone the baptism of John. That is, that they had been baptized in a a baptism of repentance, okay? But they had not been baptized in Jesus. They didn't know anything about this uh, idea. And Paul goes to them. He asks them if they had the Holy Spirit in their life. Uh, They said, we've never heard there is a such thing as Holy Spirit. The response of Paul is actually, uh, the implication of Paul's response is very telling for us forming doctrine. He goes, what were you baptized into? Right? What, What is it that you were baptized into? And these people were like, well, we were baptized into John. And then... Paul's response to those people was, well, that's a baptism of repentance. He was pointing to Jesus. And Paul then baptizes them in the name of Jesus. That's just an idiom in the Bible for what we read in Matthew 28, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's all there. They repeat it over and over. But the point is, he's baptized in the name of Jesus. Paul lays hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Not only did Paul see their love for one another, not only only did Paul... Uh, see their faith towards God, but Paul knew because he was there when they were saved, they received the Holy Spirit of God. 
Just in case you're wondering, that's the moment you are filled with the Holy Spirit. When you say yes to Jesus, and I'll show you a couple of proofs for that this morning. But the, the idea here, church, is that Paul knew that he knew that he knew that these people knew Jesus. It's really cool, okay? But even though he knew that he knew that he knew that they knew Jesus, he knew they needed to know more. You say that three times fast. It'll go great for you, right? He knew that they needed to know more. Here's what, here's what he says. He not only was giving thanks for them, for their faith and their love, but he began to pray for them. And here's what he says in Ephesians 1.17. He says, that the God of our Lord, I'm praying, effectively, read it, read it on your own, you'll see it, that I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, Paul knew that they knew Jesus. Paul knew that they were born-again believers. Paul knew that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But Paul knows what we need to get to know inside of the church today, and that is no matter how much you know of Jesus, there's more to know. Amen? No matter what. Listen, you're going to be walking with Jesus till you're 99 years old, and hopefully you live past 100 and we can celebrate you, and that would be cool. right? You're going to be walking with God till you're 99 years old, and you're still going to be learning more about who he is. Amen? Still going to be learning more about who he is because here's an important principle that I've shared with you many times. Guys, salvation is the beginning of a thing, not the end of a thing. It's the beginning of a thing, not the end of a thing. When you say yes to Jesus, you started your journey. You didn't graduate from spiritual college. Okay, You started your journey, and you're going to be pursuing him all the days of your life for the rest of your life. And as you pursue him, you're going to be growing. And Paul knows this, the Ephesians are getting to know this, and we need to know this. My dad used to tell me when I was a kid, he'd always give this analogy, and I, I know he stole it from somebody, but it's okay. So he'd always, so I'm going to steal it from him, right? And so he'd always tell us, uh, when we were growing up, he'd always say that God, if you were going to compare it, if you are going to give an analogy here, God is as vast as an ocean, okay? He is as vast as an ocean. You can't even fathom how deep and how wide and how big the ocean is, how many gallons of water. Unbelievable, right? That God is as vast as an ocean, and we are a thimble. Listen to what's really important about this. Even when that thimble is filled, it does not contain all of God. Do you know that? Even when that thimble is filled, because here's the kind of evidence, uh, the, the, or the, the story of the Christian life, right? Is that we're supposed to be filled with God so that we can be poured out for others. Did you know that? Right? We're supposed to serve other people. That's, that's our job, right? The Christian life is what? It's a race to the back of the line. So God fills us up. He fills that little thimble that we have, and we pour it out, and we pour it out, and we pour it out, and we pour it out. At no point on this, this side of heaven... No point this side of heaven will we fully know or understand God. As a matter of fact, the Bible proves that by saying to us that when we are caught up with Jesus, when he returns, that we will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. And what's good about what happens to us is that we will know at that moment, we will know as we are fully known. Can you imagine that? To know God as fully as he knows you? That's a profound idea. I don't know how it works. Jesus wins, right? So, so the idea is that we're a thimble and God is an ocean. And even when we're filled up, 
even when we're filled up, church, we don't possess all that there is to possess about God. So our job is to learn this principle, and that is that we need to grow in the knowledge of God. We need to always be increasing in our knowledge. So Paul, knowing that these people knew this, he prays for them, and he says, God, I want that Jesus Christ, I want that you would give to these people a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I had this moment yesterday. This may be fitting for some of you, but I had this moment yesterday in which I looked at this passage and I was wrestling with it because I realized in my heart and in my mind, I sometimes over-spiritualize things. I sometimes over-spiritualize things. What I read in this passage is somehow that God needs to give me a miraculous encounter, okay, some kind of otherworldly thing, some sort of supernatural encounter, so that I might have wisdom and revelation. After all, it is a spirit of wisdom and revelation. But there's nothing in this text that indicates that that is the Holy Spirit for this, although he does give us wisdom and revelation. But there is a way in which we can read this, that my spirit has been transformed or primed in such a way as to have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So I'm not saying that there's not an encounter that you're going to have with Jesus. I'm not saying that you should rule out encounters that you have with Jesus. All I'm suggesting is this, that sometimes when we over-spiritualize things, there's no benchmark by which we gauge those spiritual encounters, okay? So, so what we do, there is a benchmark, but many of us don't use it, right? So, the, so we have no benchmark. We have no uh, answer key to the test questions that we're supposed to be testing all the spirits with. And so... So what we do is we have this experience and we say, hey, God is doing something with me. Here's something you need to know. If it doesn't line up with the Bible, you heard wrong. I know that that is frustrating to some people. Listen, if it doesn't line up with the Bible, you've heard wrong. If it doesn't line up with the character of God that is found in the Bible, you've heard wrong. Okay? See, the scripture tells us to test the spirits. Okay? Just think about this for a second with me. It says to test the spirits. How are you going to grade the spirits? What's your benchmark? What's the standard by which you hold them to? If you throw the Bible away, we have a deep problem, don't we? Because then the standard is your subjective opinion. And I'm not okay with that, (laughs) okay? Just as you shouldn't be okay with my subjective opinion. But instead, the scripture says that we're supposed to test the spirits, which means when we're praying and we're saying, God, I, I do want an encounter with you. I do want to experience you. When we experience something, what we ought to do is go back to these pages and say, God, is this your character? Is this in line with who you are? Is this true of you? Because if this does not filter that thing, right, if it doesn't communicate that that is true, then guess what? We've heard something wrong. Here's a problem in the church today. Many people who believe they can't hear anything wrong, (laughs) right? The Spirit Spirit of God is alive and working, but there is a devil. There is an enemy that's prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. And listen, he does so through twisting your ideas and your views of what God said, and he puts you over here to where you get all the way back to the garden, and you go, did God really say that? I think God meant this. I think we can just do whatever we want. Just be careful. So I had this check in my spirit. I'm looking at this, and I'm going, how do I know about this? Well, of course, I studied a little bit more, and I found something very powerful. If you get the time, look up Acts 20, verse 32. Look up Acts 20, verse 32. As a matter of fact, let's just go there now. 
Why not? I love it. You guys are good for Bible study this morning, right? Doesn't matter if you are or not, captive audience. Okay, so Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Why are these pages so hard to turn? Acts chapter 20, verse 32. This is so cool. It says, and from among you, this is, or, uh, this is starting at verse 31, sorry. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. This is actually Paul talking to the elders of Ephesus before he departs from them for good. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What were the two things that God said, or that Paul said he was commending the people to? Number one, God, and number two, the word of his grace. Do you know what the word of his grace was? Well, it wasn't the New Testament, because it wasn't written yet, but it was the scriptures. Because they had heard the gospel, and they heard the gospel from the Old Testament. Paul is said to have gone into all these regions, and he explained to, the, he explained to them that Christ had died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. What scriptures? According to the stories of the Old Testament, according to the prophetic word of the Old Testament. Listen, a spirit of knowledge, a spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of him, comes proven through God's holy word. Don't make the mistake of thinking it's outside of that. Otherwise, you can just do whatever you want with it. You can just make stuff up, and there's a problem, right? That's how we got Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, the apostle Paul looks at these people. He says, listen, I know that you know Jesus, but I'm praying that you know him more. I'm praying that you know him more. But he expands what he means by know them more. Look at what he goes on to say. I pray that the eyes of your heart, this is right in line with your Bible, the very next verse, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I want you to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and Paul's statement is, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. What did Paul understand that maybe we need to remember? All the issues of life flow from where? From the heart. They flow from this place. Your deception is started in your heart, okay? And the eyes of your heart being blind. It's not physical eyes, because blind people can come to know Jesus. It's the eyes of the heart that have a problem, right? And so Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that, so that, here's what I want you to understand, so that you will know. This is important. I'm praying for a Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Next week, we're going to talk about the, the hope of God's calling. But make sure you understand this. In growing in our understanding of Jesus, in growing in our understanding of God, we need to be enlightened to know what the hope of God's calling is. Because in that, we will start to see his true character. We will start to understand how much he loves, how much he cares, what he has called us to. Here's something for your personal study this week. Write this down, okay? Personal study. Write down hope of his calling. Please don't read this wrong. It does not say that you will know what his calling is. His calling is salvation. His calling is, is, is heavenward. His calling is a new heaven and a new earth, a new life. But look at what's so amazing about this is that what we need to grow in and learn 
is the hope of that calling. You know the difference in those things? See, when my wife calls me on the phone, I could look at it and say, oh, that's awesome. My wife called and then throw my phone down. I do not do that. Only with my dad. No, I'm just, he thinks I do that. But anyway, so the point is, is that I look at that, okay, whatever, put it down, right? No, no, no. What is the hope of the calling? What is the hope of the phone call that comes through? It's the conversation that happens on the other end. It's the conversations, the interaction. That's a beautiful thing. Look, what we need to grow and learn is the hope of God's calling, not just his calling. There's many of us who came to Jesus because we know the calling, Right? For I know the plans I have for you. He prays that, or he shows you that he's going to redeem you and restore you and give you life. But what is the hope of the calling? That's something that they needed to understand. That's something the eyes of their heart needed enlightened to. That's something that required a spirit of wisdom and revelation according to the knowledge of him. So we're going to talk about that next week. I want you to study that. Then he goes on to say this. He says, oh, number two, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Will you guys say that line with me? Because it is confusing. It's hard, right? So what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What are we getting to know here? We're not getting to know just the inheritance, right? You, under, you understand how that's written, right? We're getting to know the riches of the glory of his inheritance that happens to be in the saints. I'm, I want to just kind of prime the pump to show you how big the riches of this glory are. The riches of this glory are so big that here's what Paul says about the Holy Spirit. Look at this, very next verse. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel, he's talking to the Ephesians, of your salvation, having also believed, I'm going to come back to that, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. The glory of the inheritance is so big that the Holy Spirit is the pledge to it. I don't know if my mind understands that, okay? He's the, he's the third part of the Trinity. And he, listen, he's just the pledge of this. There's something big going on here. There's something that Paul wants these people to know because here's what happens. When you begin to know God at this level, it begins to change everything about your life. It begins to uh, compel you to preach the gospel. It begins to compel you to live by faith to a greater degree. And to live in love to a greater degree. I don't even fully comprehend this idea. But that's how big the glory of the hope of this inheritance is. That the Holy Spirit is the pledge to it. I don't know. That just astounded me this week. But let's look at this really quick. It says that the message of truth, which is the gospel, by the way, of your salvation, having also believed, it was after you listened to the message, after you believed the message, that you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Guys, if the Holy Spirit doesn't come at belief, you're not sealed. That's a problem. That's a problem. So look at what happens. The Holy Spirit of promise is said to come when you believe. Here's the bigger problem in the church today. The bigger problem in the church today is that, is that we don't actually step to the belief side of things, okay? We don't step to the belief side. We confess a lot of things. We, we get so accustomed to coming to church. 
attending church, that we believe over time our attendance makes us saved. It doesn't. It doesn't make you saved. Listen, you have to hear the truth of the gospel and you have to also have believed it. Put your trust in the gospel. When that is the case, maybe the reason why we don't see the Holy Spirit moving the way we would want him to move is because we have a lot of people inside of the church. Well, we clock into church on Sunday, but I've not believed yet. I've not believed yet. I've not put myself fully into this truth. Because listen, when you believe, you are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given, big, as a pledge of our inheritance. If you're not sealed with the Holy Spirit and you're not given a pledge, then you don't have an inheritance. Why would you need a spirit of wisdom and revelation to talk about your inheritance? It doesn't matter. You're not who you think you are. That's, that's a challenge, right? So the idea is we're saved, we're, we're filled with the Spirit of God, He's a pledge of the inheritance, that's immense, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. I'll explain that in a couple weeks to come. This is powerful. So Paul knows that they know Jesus. He's seen them be filled with the Holy Spirit. He knows that it's real. It's not just a fake job, right? They believed, they received he knows that they are a faithful people. He knows that they are passionately in love with the saints. He knows it. And yet he still prays that God would give to them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Because no matter how much we know about Jesus, church, we always need to know more. So go back to uh, Ephesians, next slide. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. We're looking for the hope of his calling, not just the calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, of which the Holy Spirit is the deposit, it's the, the, the start of. And then he goes on and says this. This is what he wants them to know. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? I need you to be honest with me and I need you to participate with me. How many of you would say, I follow Jesus, I believe Jesus, but I feel powerless? Come on, be honest, be honest. I follow Jesus, I know Jesus, but I feel powerless. People are so afraid to raise their hand. So listen, there are many times in my life where I feel powerless. I know Jesus, I follow after him, I love him, but I feel powerless. Here's the crazy thing. Maybe what the problem is is that I don't know something. Maybe I don't believe something for real. Maybe I don't really understand this part of God's character so that I can come to the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Let me give you a little foretaste of what this surpassing power is. Everybody's heard this passage of scripture. It says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, and are called according to his purpose. Just in case there's a non-believer in the group today. God does not work all things together for the good of everybody. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Scripture says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. So there is a huge benefit in coming into relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying that that's the only reason you come in. But he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In other words, he works all things to the good of, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose by his surpassing greatness and by the power that he has. He brings about what is good. But here's what's surpassing about that, what's surpassingly great about that. God works all things. The bad stuff in your life, He's going, don't worry, I'll make it good. 
I can work this out. Does it mean that God will prosper you and you'll be able to own a yacht someday? Or maybe you're, you're uh, that goofy televangelist Duplantis who thinks his followers should fund him a giant jet. Oh, it just tweaks me. Anyway, okay, moving on. But, but the idea is the surpassing. <laughs> I know, you guys are like, get off your soapbox, I will. Okay, so the, the point though is the surpassing greatness of God the surpassing greatness of God is that no matter what happens inside of your life, he can work it for good. And he works it for the good of those who believe, those who are loving him and calling, called according to his purpose. Isn't that powerful? So, so again, here's the deal. The Apostle Paul looks at the church and he says, listen, I, I, I know that you know Jesus. I was there. I saw it. I experienced the, the Spirit of God changing your life. I saw this. I, I also have heard about your love. I've also heard about your faith towards one another. But listen, there's more to know. Whatever it is that you know about Jesus, there's more to know. And so I'm praying for you constantly in this. This week, I'm hoping that all of us will spend our days, spend our time praying that God will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I'm praying, and I hope you're praying with me, that we will come to a place in which the eyes of our hearts are opened for three different things. One, that we will know the hope of his calling. Two, that we will know the riches of his glory in his, her in, in his inheritance, of which the Spirit is the deposit. Unbelievable. And what is the surpassing greatness of the power of God towards you and towards me, if we believe. Let me close with this. I know, short sermon. Let me close with this. My wife and I celebrated 15 years of of wedded bliss last week. It was awesome. The funny thing is, if she wasn't serving in Kids Point, she would have applauded that too because she actually likes me. It's amazing. Okay, so, so it's, it's true. Don't listen, don't listen to what her brother says. It's true, okay? No, 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 no. Okay, so here, here's the deal. So she, so she loves me. We, we've been married for 15 years. I am fascinated by this woman every day that goes by. We've been together for 18 and a half years. 18 and a half years. I know, some of you guys are looking at me like, oh, he's just a kid. Anyway, <laughs> yes, I know, shut it. Anyway, okay, so, so I'm, I'm fascinated by this woman. She is just unbelievable, 15 years of marriage. Here's, here's what's crazy, and this is just an example and I'm using marriage as an example because Paul uses marriage as an example between Christ and his bride, the church. When I met Sarah 18 and a half years ago or met her again, even though we didn't really know each other when we were really young, we went to the same church. We knew of each other. Our parents knew each other. When I met her again, I was sold in a day. I it was done. We met. We met at this mutual friend's wedding. Our moms kind of picked us up by the scruff of our neck and set us down and said, talk. And we're like, yes, dear. Anyway, so, okay, yes, mom. So we started talking, and I was, I was smitten, as they say, right? So much so that it wasn't very long after that, maybe six months, maybe six months, probably more like six weeks. But anyway, so maybe six months that I was like, I want to marry this girl. I knew it. I knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, question for you. Did I know Sarah? I didn't know squat. I knew that, that that's not to the bad that I know now, okay? <laughs> right, she's awesome and I know greater things. I'm glad she's not in here. Anyway, so no, no, no. So, 
Have a great day, guys. <laughs> so, so, so here's the deal. I, I did not know Sarah at that point. Let me rephrase. I knew what Sarah liked. I knew her sense of humor. I knew that her favorite flower was a daisy. I knew that she loved that I wrote poems to her every day for six months. What an idiot. Gosh, right? Wore my hands out. What the heck? Anyway, and it still took her three years to commit to marry me. Anyway, so no, I knew all these things about my wife. And it was absolutely amazing. And I knew enough about her to say, I do and I will. I'm all in. I knew it. Listen, for some of you, that's exactly what it took for you to come to Jesus. You heard enough that you fell in love with Jesus. Maybe you heard John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And maybe in the season of your life, maybe what you were going through, you came to this place where you were like, for the first time, I actually feel loved. And you looked at that and thought, wow, this is intense. And you bought into the gospel and you began to believe. For you, there's much more to know. There's much more to know, but that's how it started for you. Just like how it started for Sarah and I. Maybe you were a person who went to a church and you heard the pastor stand up and say, listen, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not one of us in this room is perfect. Not one of us in this room has never made a mistake, but you heard the pastor say that, and then the pastor followed it up by saying this, oh, and the wages of sin are death. The wages of sin are death. And all of a sudden, you swallowed hard. You thought, what in the world? And then he said, but. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And at that moment, you were forever changed. All of a sudden, something hit in your mind. And it triggered. And you were like, I'm going to follow after Jesus. Listen, for you, there's much more to know. There's much more to learn. Just like with my wife, who I met, and I was ready to marry after six months, 15 years of marriage later, and I learned something new about Sarah every day. I learned something new about Sarah that I can only learn in the context of a committed relationship. There's no way I could learn how Sarah would face adversity if I wasn't the guy who sat next to her facing adversity. I might conjecture how she might go through it. I might assume as a good Christian that maybe she would, but I wouldn't know this, and I wouldn't know who she is unless I was committed. And the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. When we start Truth Is Church, we don't know nothing. We don't know nothing. The gospel, it said in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, which means this. When you hear the gospel, what happens is that God powerfully smacks you upside the head. That's why you're like, I like this guy, right? Some of you heard John 3.16. Some of you heard the passage in Romans. And some are like Peter and the apostles who heard a guy walk up to him and say, hey, leave your nets and come follow after me. And they did. What are you talking about, right? I'm Peter. I'm going, time out, time out a second. Um, I need to know the retirement plan of this whole ordeal, right? God didn't explain all those things. He did not explain. Yes, the Bible says to weigh the cost. Yes, it says to weigh the cost. But listen, there are things that are not associated with the cost. They're just the realities of following after Jesus. And we make a commitment before we know them. Could you imagine James and John looking at Jesus and saying, um, so uh, someday we're going to ask you to be sitting at their right hand and your left hand, is there going to be a future problem with this? 
Jesus saying, we don't lord it over like the Gentiles do. No, Jesus didn't say a word. Year or so into their following, they're like, we want to be on the right and we want to be on the left. And Jesus goes, what are you smoking? Right? We don't lord it over each other like the Gentiles do. We're not about this. Christianity is a race to the back of the line. What are you doing? What are you thinking? And all of a sudden at that moment, you got to imagine James and John thought, what do we get ourselves into? See, what made them follow Jesus was something completely different. It was something, it was something uh, powerful, yet maybe not as big as we understand once we've been walking with the Lord for many years. Right? However you came to Jesus, there's more to know. There's more to know. And we need to, as Christians, we need to be more humble. We need to be far more humble that says, hey, I'm ready. I want to learn. I want to understand. Sometimes we get stuck in our traditions. We get stuck in our, our just fear of change. We get stuck in all these things. And we won't learn the new nuances of the gospel, right? And they will forever change you. The truth is, when the eyes of your heart are enlightened, when that happens to you, everything changes. You finally know the hope of God's call for your life. It changes how you see him every day. It changes what you do every day in your life. You understand for the first time the hope of your calling. You start to understand the glorious majesty of his power that comes towards you because he loves you and because you believe. It's powerful. And then you start to see the glory of the inheritance that's coming your way. And it begins to change everything. So Sarah and I have been married for 15 years. And today I, I realize that, that the Sarah that I know now, I love even more. And it's not because I didn't love a portion of Sarah in the past. It's because the Sarah I know now is more who Sarah actually is. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you start to discover who Jesus actually is. And when you do, it wrecks everything in your life. So 15 years from now, you're going to hear me, if you're still hanging around me and not tired of me, you're going to hear me say that I love my wife more today than I did 15 years ago. And 15 years from that and 15 years from that, the challenge for us is as Christians to get to the place where we want to pursue Jesus that way. 15 years from now, my prayer is that you guys look at it and say, you know, 15 years ago, I used to worry about all kinds of dumb stuff. But, you know, I remember that message that you taught. And I remember that you, that you told us that it gets better and that we've got more to learn. And 15 years now later, I know Jesus better than I've ever known. And those worries are out the window. 15 years from now, I hope instead of a church that says, I'm struggling to discover what God has spiritually blessed me with, what giftings he has called me to, and what part he has called me to play in the church, I'm hoping 15 years from now that the church will look at me and say, I've been walking in my gift for 15 years. I want more, but I'm walking in what God has given me. 15 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, we should be greater in our understanding of Jesus. Amen greater. Guess how that comes, guys? Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Guess that, how that comes, or at least how it's filtered through God's word. Man, he teaches you so many awesome things. So as we part today, I want to encourage you. I want you to read your Bible. Why? Because I want you to tap into that spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want you to know what God has for you. I want you to know the glory of who he is and everything. I want you to see that because it's there for us. We just have to take it. Amen.
Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.